1, starting in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your strength. We ask for just your confidence that we would um, look at your word, and as a result of it, that we would treasure you more. Help us to see who Jesus is. Help us to be challenged and encouraged for what he has done for us. And I just pray, Lord, that this night would encourage and challenge um, these students in particular, that when they look at Jesus and they behold who he is, that they would choose him to be their, their Lord and their Savior. Uh, Christ be glorified in this time, we pray. Amen. I remember years ago, I was watching, uh, I think, a YouTube video or maybe something they, they played on church. And there's this guy named Kirk Cameron. Does anyone happen to know who that is? Maybe. So before your time, and even before my time a little bit, there was this show I watched called Growing Pains. And Kirk Cameron was this actor. And it's actually where Leonardo DiCaprio got his start on the show Growing Pains. And then he kind of went to bigger and better. And uh, Kirk Cameron, anyways, became a Christian. And having a little bit of celebrity status, he would go around the streets of big cities and he would ask this one question, who is Jesus? And they kind of videotape all these different responses that people would say. Jesus, Jesus is a, a good teacher. Next person, Jesus is a prophet. Next person, Jesus is the son of God. More responses such as Jesus is just, you know, kind of a myth, you know, but he kind of taught people how to love people well. Jesus is just... Um, a religious guy way back in the day who helped people figure out their life. And isn't that an important question to ask? I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see those responses because I think that question, who is Jesus, is a little different for everyone. And I think even as Christians, sometimes we even forget to ask that simple question, who is Jesus? I remember reading a book in the third grade, these books called Goosebumps. Do you guys heard of that, maybe? All right. I didn't know. Maybe it was before your time again. But I was reading this book, and like, they're, they're, they're like scary stories, but they're like mild for like elementary school kids, but even like the wimpy kids couldn't handle them. Oh, it's too scary. Whatever. I was reading this one, and uh, they're talking, they're at some summer camp somewhere, and Here's the myth, here's the legend, this person, when you would say these things and then you would stomp your feet three times, they would appear and they would scare you, right? And, oh, this is just a legend, this is just a myth. And the story unfolded that it actually happened and they did these things and some kind of crisis and they had to figure out how to get this ghost to stop chasing them. And I just feel like that's kind of like the storyline to a lot of movies, right? 
the man, the myth, the legend, comes to life. And when we consider Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, I want us tonight to consider, who is Jesus? Who was the man who was from Nazareth of Galilee, who claimed certain things, who said that he was, in fact, God himself, God incarnate, God in flesh, that he, quote-unquote, according to these Gospels, raised people from the dead, that he healed the lepers, that he calmed raging storms at sea. I'm reminded of another book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity, and in it he says um, there's this trilemma that we all have to decide. Is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic? He's a crazy dude. Or was he who actually said he was Lord? And I don't, I don't mind that, those questions to ask, but I think when, if you would ask that question to people at your school, or people maybe even in your um, homes, like, hey, you have to decide. Is Jesus either a liar? Is he, is he either a lunatic, a crazy dude? Or, or was he who he said he was? And, and I think, I, I don't know, I hear this response from people. Well, I, don't, I don't think he's either of those. I don't necessarily think he was lying. I don't think he was a bad dude. I, I mean, crazy, that seemed a little weird for a crazy guy to do so many good things. You know, Lord, like, I just think some people kind of came in after him and made him look really good in, these, in those books. And I just think he was just a good dude, right? Is Jesus just a good guy? Is he just someone who we can kind of learn how to deal with our parents when they're annoying us? Is Jesus just a person we can kind of learn that when we're really frustrated how to forgive others? Is Jesus just someone who to kind of take a few moral examples from and then kind of just go live our life? Or is Jesus someone who to take seriously and to ponder and to consider, is Jesus worth singing for, right? You notice that we sing about Jesus' death a lot? Is Jesus worth coming week in and week out to youth group to learn about him? Is Jesus worth devoting my whole life to. Answering that question, who is Jesus, will help us to know what should we do with this Jesus. And so what we have here in, the, in Mark's prologue, and in prologue, is he's, he's kind of giving an introduction to the rest of his book. You know, some 15, 16 chapters long, the Gospel of Mark, he's trying to set the stage for like, hey, listen, um, I'm going to tell you some things about Jesus, right? So actually, matter of fact, look at Mark 1, starting in verse 1. We didn't talk about this verse last week, but... He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So there are three key words there that he starts off his whole book. Okay, he says, one, the gospel. Okay, gospel is a like heraldry term, and by that, we simply mean the gospel is good news. So Mark begins by saying, hey, listen, the good news, so usually if it's good news, you're kind of like, well, what's this good news? About, he says, Jesus Christ. So here's the thing, like, we hear that, those terms a lot, whether if it's in a good sense, like we sing his name, Jesus Christ, or someone stubs their toe or gets really mad and they say JC in a very non-good way. But we kind of think that Jesus' last name is Christ, right? I'm Aaron Garnes, uh, Jesus Christ, that's his, that's his name, right? Like Mr. Christ, if you were like a, a little kid and you see him in your neighborhood, oh, hey, what's up, Mr. Christ? Like... Um, not quite, though, because that term, Christ, um, is actually this word meaning Messiah, which is a king term. So honestly, when you, when you read in the New Testament, you come across this term, Jesus Christ, 
really what someone in the original audience, what they would have read is the Messiah Jesus. This King Jesus. So good news about Jesus the Messiah. And here's what he says. Look at verse 1 again. He says, the son of what? Say it out loud. The son of what? God. Mark's whole purpose through all of these stories, through talking about Jesus' baptism, his miracles, his death and resurrection, all that stuff, is to prove this one point. Jesus is the Son of God. Who is Jesus according to Mark? The Son of God. And you know what's interesting? We will see story after story after story in which the disciples, um, the crowds, the Pharisees, the religious people, asking this question, who then is this dude? Like Jesus is like on a boat with his disciples and it's freaking like going crazy, swells, they think they're going to sink. And Jesus stands up and he just calms the storm. And the disciples say, who the heck is this guy? Like we as the readers know what Mark is trying to do. He's trying to tell us Jesus is the son of God. But what we'll see in all these stories, that the only people who actually understand who Jesus is, guess what? Are the demons. Only the demons know who Jesus is. And it's, it's funny too because Jesus, he'll heal someone and he'll say, hey, don't tell anyone about this. Just keep it, on the, keep it on the, under the wraps, Right? And finally, I'm giving like the whole thing away, right? Finally, at the very end, a Roman stares upon the cross, and he finally answers the question, who is Jesus? Surely, this man is the son of God. Whole Gospel of Mark is painting this picture. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And, and Mark is, imagine Mark is coming to you, right here every Sunday night and saying, I want you to think about this one thing. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so today we get to look at Jesus' baptism and his testing. And so really I kind of have three main little uh, subpoints here. The person, the baptism, and the testing. So let's go ahead and look down at verse 9. We'll see the person. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, I'm, I'm assuming here that most of us don't have a lot of categories to think about uh, the different geographical locations of cities in ancient Palestine. Anyone? No. Even myself, I don't. I have to read books to, to tell me this stuff, so don't, don't be upset. But so kind of if you can picture modern-day Israel, uh, back then they didn't really call Israel, they call it Palestine, and you had Jerusalem towards the bottom, and that's like the region of Judea. Right? So we kind of hear that term sometimes. Judea is like that. It's like a, maybe like a county or like a state. And then above that, you have this, um, this region called Galilee. Okay? And I don't want to say that there's like a lot there, but it's almost like maybe you could say like eastern and western Washington. Right? There's, there's kind of like there's a difference of culture. Like we're used to like the rain. We, we like our coffee. And then over there, they're kind of like, we kind of want our own state because we don't want Seattle politics to tell us how we should live life four hours away. You know, it's like, it, it, we're a state, but it's, it's kind of a, there's a difference there, right? A little difference there. So imagine um, you hear about some guy writing a book and he's saying, hey, to all of my 2017 peeps, I have good news to write to you. And it's about a guy named Chris, and he's from Tonino. And you're like, Tenino? What good can come from Tenino? Right? Like, sorry, Luke, no, me, Luke's like me. 
I'm good from Tenino. But just like, if you think for a second, when you were saying, hey, the savior of the world, he lives in Tenino, you'd be like, something about that just seems a little off. <laughs> like, what? Or maybe like even like, I, I wanted to say Shelton, but Shelton has some pretty parts to it. But Tenino, I just don't know what's good about it, really, other than Luke Nolan's thing. Um, if you were someone reading Mark's gospel and you read that, wait, 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 well, one, Galilee, but two, Nazareth. Like the city, not even a city, a village, probably only had 200 people. And so you're saying, you're just saying that the Messiah, the king who's been prophesied about from the line of David, he's going to come from where? From Nazareth? So in John 1, what's interesting is we see, um, where are my notes? We see Philip. Right? Philip, he, he meets Jesus, and he's talking to Jesus. He says, you know, I'm going to convince my buddy Nathaniel. Hey, Nathaniel, dude, come, come check out Jesus. And Nathaniel asks this question. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Tenino or Shelton? Because here's the thing. They, they knew the Old Testament prophecies. They knew that the Messiah, this person who was supposed to come from David, was to be born in Bethlehem, and he used to come from David's village. So what do you mean, Nazareth? And so we ask this question, where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem, and then he spent some time in Egypt, but he grew up in a small, tiny, little, podunk, unimportant city where he worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. You see, I think... What's so neat about considering Jesus is when we think about the Savior of the universe, when we think about the King of all kings, when we think about the Lord of all lords, we're tempted to think of someone with wealth and power and prestige, and someone who is known, and someone who has a lot of Twitter followers, and someone who is from a good background and went to the right schools. But Jesus is from, he's from nowhere. And so you, you kind of think, finally, okay, Mark is ushering Jesus, right? Last week we saw how John the Baptist is pointing towards someone greater, right? He says, you know, I'm just baptizing you with water. Someone's going to come a little later, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll wash you from the inside. And this person, he's going to, I can't even untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to look at him. And then you finally see this Messiah come on scene, and you hear, Nazareth. You're like, just not, I just wasn't expecting that. And I think Jesus is like that sometimes. He's, he's unexpected. We, we, we think that he's supposed to be like this fast, fun, famous, high energy. He's just going to tell me everything I want to know. But yet we kind of find him sometimes in unexpected ways. And so that, that's, that's where he starts, of Galilee. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, really quick, um, some people raise questions. Why does Jesus need to get baptized? So if you're, if you're a good student of the Bible, and maybe we can learn to think critically a little bit, if you look down really quick um, at verse 7, of, of, so we're going back up a few verses of Mark 1. Um, excuse me, uh, verse, verse 5. Um, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going to him and were being baptized by, the, by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay, so we talked about last week how, listen, baptism and repentance means that there is sin involved. 
But why does Jesus need to get baptized? If if John the Baptist's message was a message of baptism from the repentance of sins, and if Jesus is without sin, why does he need to be baptized? Right? Isn't that a a fair, good question? Like, we don't want to be negligent to some of the questions that people raise about the Bible. We want to answer them, right? And so why would Jesus have to get baptized? Well, Mark may not answer this question, but other Gospels do. So in Matthew, Matthew says that in order that Jesus may fulfill all righteousness, as in in order that he may come and accomplish and fulfill all of the prophecies written about him, Jesus was baptized. But more than that, listen to this. Jesus was baptized by John in order that he may identify with his people. What Jesus is doing by being baptized by John in the Jordan is he's showing to those that who do receive this baptism that he can actually be identified with sinful humanity. So Jesus is giving approval to John the Baptist. And you know what he's saying to all of you? He's saying, listen, I'm not just some savior, some, some guy who you can't relate to. Uh, you know, we, we, we look at Jesus as, as if he's God and he's so far greater and so far better. And yes, all of that is true, but guess what? Jesus is also a man. And he went to the Jordan River in order that he can say, hey, I know what it's like to. I know what it's like to be a person. And you know, you know what's really interesting? Jesus would say, hey, I know what it's like to be a teenager and your parents just drive you up to the wall. Hey, I, I know what it's like those times where you feel kind of lonely, you don't really feel like you have people to talk to. Like, and Jesus can identify with us in every way. And by him going to baptism, he shows that. That he's not just some leader or some Messiah king who kind of sits perched up on his throne and he can't relate to his people, right? You know Robin Hood? Like the king is just like, just taxing everyone, living this great life and doesn't even know what the modern person is like. But Jesus isn't like that. He can identify with us. And sympathize with us. You know Gwyneth Paltrow, you guys know who that is? She used to be married to like Coldplay dude. A few years ago she did an experiment that you can eat healthy while living off of food stamps. Right? She did an experiment and she like publicized the whole thing because there's this epidemic in our country that people don't get the proper nutrients and so she wants to demonstrate that hey even on a tight budget you can eat healthy. So for one week she was given like like $130 to live off of. And she's going to, um, for groceries anyways, and so she's going to, you know, go to the store and show what she bought. And so um, she did it on the first day, and it, and it just immediately had so much um, just, like, outlash and people criticizing her. I think, she, so she bought, like, four different types of herbs and spices for $14, uh, she bought, like, organic chicken that was, like, $17. Um, so in essence, like, I remember reading the article. She spent, like, $80 on one meal. That would last, like, a couple of days. And people were, like, beside themselves. Like, you are so out of touch that you don't even know. Like, you think, like, you have mouths to feed. You have kids to feed. That's not going to feed you for a whole week. And so what she spent on, in, like, in one day is where people would spend in two weeks on food. And what did it show? She couldn't really relate to the people in our country who are struggling. 
or poor. As much as she tried to identify with someone, she couldn't. But Jesus can be identified with. And so here's the thing. In Jesus' baptism, we have three specific things happen. And in his baptism, there's one main point being trying to communicate, but also in those three actions, there's a unique thing about Jesus we learn. But here is what we learn about Jesus in his baptism. I'll just give it to you. That Jesus is the promised Messiah. In his baptism, we get the proof from Scripture that he is actually who he says he is as the Messiah. So let's go ahead and look down. Three things that happen. So starting in verse 10, the first thing that happens during Jesus' baptism, verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, so he went down the water, got baptized, and when he came up, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Right? Can you imagine that for a second? Like literally that word torn is, is the word to tear. So there's a tear in the sky. Right? Kind of hard to believe, hard to picture, but in essence, God is tearing up the sky to actually come down and say something. Now, what's interesting is that word tear is used one other time in Mark's gospel, and it's the same time when Jesus is on the cross and the curtain temple is torn in two. And other times in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, tear the heavens, and come down that the mountains may quake at your presence. This idea in the Old Testament and the New Testament that when God would tear something and he would open up the sky or he would open up the curtain, it's communicating that Jesus is inaugurating this long-awaited return of God's Spirit. That when Jesus is baptized and he comes up and the, 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 the sky is torn in two, right? Can you imagine being there? Looking up and seeing a hole in the sky, A period of grace begins in Jesus in whom God reveals himself to the world in a very unparalleled way. What does this show us about Jesus? That he brings something that no one has brought before. That God is doing a work in him that no king, no prophet, no, no any person for God has been able to do before. He is bringing with him the Holy Spirit. Right? Isn't that what in verse 8 John the Baptist says? I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. So you have this, you have this tearing up the heavens. Second thing, what, ha what happens? Look at verse 10 again. The heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, we, I guess because we know this passage, we kind of we think of the Holy Spirit as a dove. But back then, that had been a very unique thing to see. Like, the dove doesn't really represent anything, like, specifically in the Old Testament. Like, it's just a random thing. But here's, a, here's why I think there's an actual physical dove that comes upon Jesus. Because Mark is trying to show, like, we saw these things with our eyes and we heard them. Like, how many of us, we talk about the Holy Spirit in such a subjective way that no one can really know. Like, it's just like this feeling or this experience or, you know, you can get the, the hairs in the back of your head, they stick up and you feel kind of like, you know, when they play Jesus Paid It All and the drums start coming in and I get that feeling. Is that the Holy Spirit? But coming like a dove, they would see this, 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 this actual sign, this physical thing, and they could say, the Spirit of God was coming upon Jesus Isaiah, again, the prophet says in Isaiah 11, and the Spirit of the Lord, referring to the Messiah. So listen, this is a prophecy 
about the Messiah, which is revealed in Jesus hundreds of years later, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so what we see in the Old Testament is that the, the Messiah, who they're all waiting for, had all these special prophecies that they would have, that he would have a special amount of the spirit. More than any prophet or king before. So by having this dove, do you know what we see? That Jesus is actually the promised Messiah. The promised king is actually here. Do you know why? Because all those Old Testament dudes talked about how the spirit would be on this king. And now we get a picture of this. Third thing that happens. Last thing. Look at verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. So now that this terror in the sky is there. This dove comes upon Jesus. Now a voice comes. And what does it say? You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So this is an interesting um, thing happening here because this is an illusion of three Old Testament passages. So the first illusion we see is you are my son. That comes from Psalm Chapter 2, verse 7, and in that psalm, what we see is that the Lord is announcing that his king is the true king. All the, all the nations and people plot against the Lord's anointed, but the king who is in Israel on Zion's hill is the Lord's anointed. And so by, by God coming, the Father affirming Jesus, what he is saying, that he is really the Lord's anointed king and Messiah. Second thing, with you I am well pleased. Again, it's a reference to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 is an interesting passage because it talks about the suffering servant. So if we were familiar with Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. It's talking about how Jesus is going to be the one who comes and he suffers for his people, that he would die for them in order that they can be right with God. And third, we have this phrase, beloved son. Genesis 22, there's a story of um, Abraham who finally gets a long-awaited son. Does anyone know the son's name of Abraham? It's a little Bible trivia, I guess. Isaac. And then so after you have this son, he's been promised you for hundreds of years, 100 years maybe, God says, go kill your son. Your one and only beloved son, go and kill him. And so Abraham takes Isaac, and God intervenes. But in essence, what we have here is that Jesus is being affirmed by God the Father that this this is my son. This is the Messiah. I affirm him. He is God's only son who is willing to come and die. But you know what? You want to know something? I sometimes hear people say, you know, we're we're all God's children, aren't we? Like we're, we're all just, as, as human beings in general, human nature, you know, we're all kind of children of the Lord. To try to like, maybe like, not pick size. That, that, that there are different, like, you know, like, you guys, you Christians think that you're just the only people who God loves. But, you know, we're all God's people, right? We're all kind of adopted into the family of God. But let me tell you something. Jesus is not God's son by adoption, but by nature. Those who trust and rest in Christ, we become sons and daughters by adoption, but not Jesus. Jesus is God's son 
by nature. And what that means is that Jesus, listen, I'm, and I'm using some Christian words and that might not mean a lot, but we're going somewhere with this. Just, just, just track with me for a second. Jesus is the divine son of God. And his baptism is a picture that proves that. What does that mean? That means that it actually matters of what we think about him. If we just think that Jesus is just another person who, who kind of uh, the adopted, kind of we're all just the son of God, and he just did a bunch of nice, good things, it doesn't really matter much. But look at, the, look at the role the Trinity plays in this passage. You have the Father who is affirming the Son. You have the Spirit ascending on the Son. You have the Son living a life in which he, he goes to be a man and he humbles himself and, and, and he com- clothes himself with compassion so that he can identify with his people in order that he may glorify his Father. Jesus uses the Spirit in order to live a life that glorifies. Like the, whole, like the Trinity is just a circle of how they're working together. And all of this shows the true identity of Jesus, that he's not just another person. His baptism is a clear picture of his true identity, the divine son of God who has never had a beginning, who will never have an ending, who made everything, who submits to the will of his father. See, in these three small little verses, this is what we see. Jesus identifies himself with sinners. God that if God himself comes and he identifies himself with you. So when we think, therefore, about Christian baptism, and maybe some of you have been baptized, maybe some of you haven't, do you know what we get to do? We get to take a part of identifying ourselves with Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. You want to know why? Because God tore open the sky to tell us so. So one commentator says this, the baptism is the keystone in the life and ministry of Jesus. The empowerment by the Spirit to be God's servant and declaration from heaven, you are my son, enabled Jesus not only to speak and act for God, but as God. Because Jesus got baptized and the Spirit ascended and God rained down these words, Jesus is acting as God because he is God. See, guys, listen, we're going to read more and more of this gospel every week, right? And this baptism is why Jesus can offer the forgiveness of sins. This baptism is why Jesus can accept sinners for who they are. This baptism is why he calls tax collectors into discipleship. It is why he can heal the sick. It is why he can cast out demons. It is why he can recover the true intent of the Sabbath. It is why Jesus can challenge the religious authorities. It's because he, in fact, is what John Mark said in verse 1, the Son of of God. What Jesus does as God's servant ultimately has meaning only because of who he is as God's son. I have a whole other point. But I need to finish. So I'm actually going to like scratch it. I have my second point. We'll pick up the temptation of Jesus. No, I'll, I'll preach, right? We're here to preach. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. We're doing small groups tonight, so okay. Um, Look at verse 12 with me, huh? Uh, Let's go quickly. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he's with the wild animals. By the way, I still don't know what that really means, so chalk that up for a question one day when you get to heaven, the wild animals. 
and the angels were ministering to him. So um, a lot of times we, we look at this word, the temptation of Jesus. The Greek word for temptation is really just the word testing. So Jesus, right after he gets baptized, we see this word immediately, and we'll talk about that word a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately, immediately Jesus went and did stuff. He goes in and he gets tested in the wilderness. Now, there's a few observations, okay? So what's really cool about the Gospels is that if you were a Jew or, or knew the Old Testament, you would see reference after reference to the history. But that can make it a little hard for us. But that, that's okay. That, that's not there to confuse us. But really quick, um, a spirit compels Jesus to go into the wilderness. And here are a few things we learned from it. I'll be quick. One, where did he go to be tested? Starts with a W, ends with an illness. <laughs> wilderness. Wow, you guys are so great. Okay. Um, so this is what we call, um, um, it's kind of like, in a way, the Old Testament foreshadows what's happening. Because Israel, if you remember, that they went into the wilderness, wilderness to be tested. But guess what? Israel in the wilderness, they failed at obeying and believing and trusting in God. They could not do. So Jesus goes in for 40 days. Israel went in for 40 years. Number three, Jesus' ministry is spiritual. Okay, that Jesus had to go get tested by Satan himself means that Jesus is not a Messiah who came just to overthrow Rome. A lot of some of my, my liberal Christian friends just see Jesus as a political figure. But the fact that he went into the wilderness for 40 days and battled with hell with Satan shows that he, he wasn't there primarily to, to tell us how to do politics, to tell us how to overthrow evil governments. His mission is a spiritual one. And so here's the thing. Here's what I love about this. Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, do you know what it shows us? That Jesus is, he had a freedom and a sovereignty like every other human, including us, to choose to make God's will his own. Like, listen, just because Jesus is God and he came into the world and he had this thing, doesn't mean that it was an automatic for him to believe and obey in every way. Listen, every time Jesus was tempted to sin, he made a decision to obey the will of his Father. He can identify when you are tempted to struggle with lust. He can identify the struggle to compare. He can identify the struggle of being mad and frustrated at circumstances. He can identify with everything. That was really quick, but let me go to my conclusion now, okay? Um, Mark continues writing his prologue, showing us that Jesus is the Messiah. This Jesus. Who is Jesus? Mark is trying to prove his point. Jesus is the Son of God. Think, think about if you're reading this for the first time, and maybe you are someone 2,000 years ago and you're the original reader or audience for this gospel. And you hear about John the Baptist. And you hear about, hey, one day, you know, there will be someone who will come before me. And maybe you think, maybe John the Baptist is the messenger, but could it be that this Jesus is actually the message? Could it be that Jesus has something good? Could it be that Jesus has good news with him? And that, that's, that's the question I think Mark is trying to raise for us. Who is this Jesus? Who, who could he possibly be for you? 
Like, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I read this passage and I struggled it because I'm like, what does the baptism and temptation of Jesus mean for a sophomore in high school? What, what does this mean? What, what can I kind of challenge them or tell them to do or encourage them with when we think about the baptism of Jesus, right? You're thinking like, yeah, Aaron, come on, like, be a better preacher. Tell us, tell us, what are we supposed to do with this? And maybe this says more of me being not the best preacher and maybe something even about you and that we kind of expect something that we want to hear. But let me, let me just say something. Like, I had to like read and, and go see what other people are saying about this passage. And I think I missed it. You want to know what the point of this passage is? The point of this passage is just Jesus. Like, you wouldn't say, huh? Like, you're reading the Bible and the Gospel of Mark and the point of the passage is Jesus. Is that boring to you? Does talking about Jesus' life and for what he did for us and him identifying with us through baptism, is that just kind of like whatever to you? Does hearing about your Savior and beholding your God do anything? Does that give you anything for your week or tomorrow? That Jesus is the promised Messiah, the King who came, who is the Son of God? I guess the question for us to ask really then is, can we, like the Father, look at Jesus the same way? This is my beloved Son. Let me ask you a question. Can we just all lean in and think about this? What is going on in your heart when you look at Jesus? Is he just a good dude? Is he a nice teacher? Just someone your parents are forcing on you? Someone who you thought maybe he wasn't? But maybe the point of this passage is that you would see Jesus and your heart would just as the Father say, this is the beloved Son of God, and with him I am pleased. Behold your God. Is he enough? Is he good? Is Jesus someone worth living for and dying for? Why should we listen to Jesus? Why should we sing songs about his death? Why should we serve him in every day of our life? If he's just some good figure, some myth, legend, I don't think Jesus means much for us. So I think this passage reminds us once again, over and over again, that the good news is not about us. The good news is about Jesus Christ and how he is the Savior of the world. Riley, why don't you come up for a second? Um, you know, as we, as we think about those things, um, I, I think it's easy for us to just hear them and kind of process, and maybe you even have something kind of happen to you when I talk a little slower and deeper and I, I make pauses. But here's, where, here's what I just don't want us to get in the habit of doing. I'm just hearing these things and not really responding. So I think when we are confronted with the question of who is Jesus and, and this, in this passage, I think it's important for us to, to all kind of... Um, okay. <laughs> all right. 
He's like, I'm giving up. I'm leaving. I'm quitting. Um, I think it's important for us to actually take the time to, to see, like, what is this passage actually calling me to do? And so we're going to do something. We're going to start doing something a little different most Sunday nights. We're going to do this thing called affirmation and confession. And so what we'll do is we'll kind of all stand up together, and we're going to read a prompt on the screen, and we're just going to confess. Together, we're going to say it out loud, like, you know what, sometimes I am bored when I look at Jesus. Sometimes when I look at Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't do it for me. And I think it's okay to say that out loud. But, you know, after we confess it, you know what we want to do? We always want to affirm God's love for us. We want to affirm the gospel over us. So when we look at God's word, let us not become guilty of just listening. But let us, with our hearts, confess the things we need to confess and affirm the gospel over us. So let's stand. Let's do this right now. Let's, let's do this confession. Father, we confess that we often are bored by your free offer of grace. We ask that your spirit would help us to see Jesus as our beloved. Now as we confess that, let's remind ourselves of what God affirms over us. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to identify with us even when we were sinners. Because of your righteousness, death, and resurrection, we know that we have become beloved children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can with full hearts of assurance say that we are your beloved children. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in our lives. I pray that you would help us to marvel in who you are. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.